0: From my perspective, it's the one gift that churches are notorious for not um, cultivating.
1: to another episode of Law & Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, Managing Attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Hey Josh, I'm so excited to jump into this interview today that you had with Jim Shepard. You guys really talked about giving in the church, but then also you know, planned giving and who should actually plan their giving to the church. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's kind of two components to this. One is uh, kind of a the the mass call from the pulpit and the exhortation to give to your church. And nobody uh, really enjoys the sermons on giving, but that's certainly an appropriate thing to do. And we need to be talking about giving because God talks about giving. An awful lot in Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, and so when we're talking about planned giving and we're we're giving the giving sermons from the pulpit, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that everybody needs to have a plan in how they give. Yes, uh, this is not just for people who have a whole lot of money and need you know a complicated estate plan. It's not just for people who are uh, elderly and are in uh, what some people affectionately refer to as heaven's waiting room. That's their Sunday school class. <laughs> uh, you know, so those are not the only people that we need to talk to about having a Plan for their giving and how they tithe. And what I tell people is look, take your salary, uh, what you know you're going to make this year, uh, and, and divide by 52 and make it a weekly discipline. Don't just do it once, but have that plan that you're going to give every week, not just on the days that you get your paycheck. And then Outside of that, though, there is the one-on-one ask, and this is a great point that, that Jim makes in the in the uh, interview, is that we need to have the courage as pastors and as church leaders to go and make the ask, will you remember me in your will? Mm-hmm. Uh, and would you remember God in your will? Would you remember the church in your will? We don't, we don't really want pastors going to say, hey, would you remember me yeah. in your will? <laughs> we, we, want, we want pastors going to people and saying, will you remember the church in your will? You know, and there are a lot of pastors who get frustrated when various charitable organizations and parachurch ministries are remembered in the will, but the church is not. Well, those ministries and those other charities are making the ask. They're going to these people and saying, will you give to the church uh, or will you give to this organization? But pastors are not making that ask. And so we need to do that. We need to go. And even from the pulpit, it is okay to say, remember the church in your will uh, and remember that when that charity and when that college sports team uh, and when that parachurch ministry all pass away, the church is going to survive. Jesus is coming back for his church. And so the church is the only thing that you can give your money to that will literally last for eternity.
1: Absolutely. And that's a great point And I'm, I'm really excited to jump into this interview. So let's go ahead and do that.
2: Today, our guest is Jim Shepard. He's the CEO and principal at Generis. It's a consulting firm passionate about helping churches inspire and cultivate generosity through giving development, coaching, and strategy. After college, Jim passed the CPA exam and pursued a career. Career as a financial executive, uh, though he grew up in the church, Jim was not a believer until he was 28. That part of his life intersected with his business life in 1991 when he thought he might be called to the pastorate. This coming at a time when he was at a very high level in a major financial services company. After an intense spiritual period in his life, Jim realized that there that he was uh, not where God was calling him. Seven months into a corporate buyout and a series of providentially inspired events, Jim moved from the corporate world to giving development for churches and and ministry organizations. Jim is a student of generosity and is passionate about spreading it through the church. For the last 23 years, he's devoted his life to coaching pastors and understands the financial challenges that churches face today, such as annual giving, debt, capital projects, and planned giving. He's a positive force in bridging these needs with the power of spiritually motivated stewardship. Cumulatively, Jim has partnered with his clients to raise over $1.3 billion for local church ministry. Jim is a frequent writer and speaker on generosity and ministry funding. He is co-author of Contagious Generosity, Creating a Culture of Giving in Your Church, and you can find a link to his book in the show notes, so go buy it. Jim and his wife, Nancy, live in the Atlanta, Georgia area where they have two daughters. He is actively involved in Perimeter Church where he serves as an elder and provides guidance to the Generosity Ministry team. Jim, welcome. Thank you, Josh, so much. It's a real honor to be here today. We are pleased to have you on. You know, one of the things I tell every church that I work with is that I want to help them become more secure, more effective, and more efficient. In one area where uh, too many churches are vulnerable and insecure, secure is in their financial position. I read a statistic here recently, and we'll talk about that more in future episodes, but about 61% of church buildings in America house congregations that cannot financially maintain their building. And that affects somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 churches in the United States. And then on top of that, one of the issues that I unfortunately have to deal with uh, on a somewhat frequent basis is the physical security of money and embezzlement. And so financial insecurity really intersects with the law in a whole lot of ways. And with deferred maintenance comes denied insurance claims. And then with dips in giving come missed debt payments and the possibility of foreclosure. And we've had to deal with a couple of bankruptcies here and there. So... Uh, it's a big deal. And I'm not an accountant or a financial advisor, but I tell churches that I work with that they need to have access to one and they need to develop a plan. Uh, And so, you know, planned giving kind of means different things in different circles. And so I kind of want to define that real quick. So Jim, can you tell us just in your experience and the things that you work uh, with churches on, what is planned giving? How do you define that?
0: Yeah, so planned giving is one of those terms. That's a good, good, a good uh, uh, summary there, Josh. And you know, I think what you find is a lot of churches have this idea that planned giving is um, you know, something that only wealthy people do. And mm-hmm. the reality is that you know, while wealthy people do it, it's not strictly for them. Planned giving just means that you have sat down with an attorney or a fin- and or a financial planner, and you have designated where your assets are going to end up both in this life and then beyond this life. And so planned gifts tend to be uncertain as to amount or timing or sometimes both. But they're very, very integral in the life of the church. And it is, from my perspective, it's the one gift that churches are notorious for not um, cultivating. And as a result, you know, I think uh, by and large, the educational institutions are the ones who end up with most of the planned gifts. It's unfortunate. And frankly, all you would have to do is ask. I have a very very recent. I mean, within the last three months, painful episode with one of my clients, a church where um, medium-sized town, you know, probably, you know, five, six hundred thousand, and probably one of the leading churches in town, um, had what I think is probably the wealthiest man in town, an elderly gentleman who was a member of their church, and um, they were going into a capital program where they hoped to have him make the lead gift. He died very untimely he was 92 years old but it was untimely right before they got a chance to talk to him and they were thinking well surely he's made provision for us in his will and he had made designated gifts to a number of educational and ministry organizations but not to his church now this was a man that loved God and loved his church and he had not made any kind of a planned (laughs) gift to his church but he'd made them elsewhere And that's frustrating. It's frustrating for ministries. And I think for you and me, you probably are familiar with this statistic. You know, in America, 10% of the wealth is in cash and cash equivalents. 90% of it is in other assets. And what churches are are, are really good at is dipping into the 10% portion of the jar and very, very poor at dipping into the 90% portion of the jar. And that's where the planned gifts lie. Um, Planned gifts are really for all ages. You know, I would say to a young millennial couple with kids, you need to have an estate plan that both includes your assets and provision for your kids. I'm an empty nester. I don't necessarily need provision for my kids, but I need provision for my assets. So, you know, there could be even some age and stage differentials, but it is sitting down with an advisor or advisors and deciding here is where I want my assets to end up. Both in my life and beyond my
2: life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've heard some of the same things. I was talking to one pastor again. This was very, very recently, uh, where you know he was ecstatic uh, that the church had gotten a, it was about a quarter million dollars in a legacy gift, uh, only to find out uh, that the local college football team uh, got one point three million. Uh, <laughs> Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. It, it, it and Josh, I'm, I'm telling you, I think for a lot of them, you know, if you were to talk to these people, they would say, well, the five college football team asked and the pastor didn't. Yeah. And so what we try to teach churches is there's nothing wrong with asking. In fact, it's good stewardship. It's good kingdom stewardship to ask godly people to leave their money in godly places.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I loved about your website. One of the things you talked about is having this uh, this mindset that things outlive us. You know, the church is not only going to outlive us, uh, Jesus is coming back for that church, and the people who make right. it up are, are going to live forever. And so you talk about an organization right. or institution that's going to outlive us. It's the church. Yeah. Very good. But
0: they, and Ron, Ron Blue, you know, Ron's one of the kind of the, steward, the fathers of the stewardship movement, the modern stewardship movement in America. I forget which one of his books it was in, but I remember reading it some years ago. And his thing about planned giving was he said, do your giving while you're living so you will be knowing where it's going. And that's really the essence of planned giving is make sure you have a plan. You know, what you and I both know, certainly you as an attorney know it better than I do, is every person in America has a will. Mm -hmm. Every person. Only one-third of Americans have a will that they wrote. Yeah. The other two thirds of Americans have a will that the state wrote for them, and it may or may not have your best interest at heart. And so, have a will that includes a plan for your life issues and your estate and asset issues. And, right? Yeah. You know, I just I can't say that strongly enough to people
2: who might be listening today. Yeah, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly with you. And and for the listeners, that's called the Intestate Act. It's a uh, an act that every state has that says if you don't have a, a will, here's what we think you would want to do with those assets and. I I don't like to say I'm 100% certain, but I'm pretty close to 100% certain none of those statutes list your church as a beneficiary. So, certainly, (laughs) I doubt it. I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) So, certainly, you're going to want to sit down uh, with an attorney or estate planner uh, and have your people sit down with an attorney and estate planner uh, and financial advisor to get these things hammered out. So, We've touched on this briefly, Jim, already, but who should plan their giving to the church and who should pastors approach about planned giving? And maybe even a better question is how should pastors approach those different people uh, about uh, including the church in their uh, estate plan?
0: Yeah, I think, Josh, the best way to do it is in the bigger context of that idea of having a will and having a plan, which, you know, uh, you and I both know this, is that your will not only includes your assets, but, you know, you've got your living will type issues that have to be embedded in that. You've got your custodianship issues that have to be embedded in that for your kids if your kids are not of, of, of adult age. You've got all kinds of things that have to be embedded in there. So I think the issue of plan giving resides under this bigger conversation around have a will. Have a plan for your life and what happens to your assets. And that's just good stewardship. You know, when we talk about stewardship, you know, in terms of what God's put into our trust, stewardship is really having the assets that belong to another under your trust and care and doing it in the best interest of the owner. So what I'm supposed to do is manage it in such a way that it brings glory and honor to him, which means making sure that I've been diligent to make to to, to see that it ends up in kingdom causes. And, and do that while I'm living. And so everybody needs one. It's just, you know, my my daughter and, and son-in-law, you know, they're early 30s. They need a different will and estate plan than Nancy and I need because we're empty nesters in our early 60s now. And, and yet everybody needs one. And so I would say to the pastor and to the people in, the, in leadership in the local church, make sure you emphasize to your people to have a will. And then in the context of the will, talk to them about their choices for where their money ends up. And so, you know, for me, I want both to do things in my life and do things beyond my life and make sure that that happens as well. And then if you're planning to take care of family members and and kids and things like that, make sure that's stated in there as well. That's part of planning where you go. But the estate plan includes planned gifts that might occur. Some of them might occur in life, you know, charitable remains or unit trusts or other types of, gifts that you might uh, get, into, get involved in and anything that could be a testamentary gift that happens after you're gone. So for me, I think it's everybody. And the best way to approach that is in the context of this bigger conversation around have a will. Don't let the state decide what happens to your kids or to your by the way, You know this. I mean, you've probably seen some of these, these cases. Everybody that assumes, let's just say horrifically, that both parents died in an automobile accident. We just have a seven, car, uh, seven people died in an accident on I-85 right here outside of Atlanta this weekend. You know, two parents died. And you can assume that the kids go immediately to the grandparents. But that might not happen under state law. Your kids might end up in state custody for a short period of time. Now, ultimately, they'll end up with the grandparents. But if they have that document that you pull right out, then they go right to the grandparents and there's no questions asked. And so what you want to say is... There's a remote chance that that could happen. But if it did happen, you wouldn't want to add heartache on heartache with your kids being in state custody. Let them just go straight to the people that you've designated, and that's in your document. So it's in this bigger context of being stewards of everything in your life, including the assets that go to charitable uh, institutions like your church.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things you mentioned was the Charitable Remainder Unit Trust, and I know there are Charitable, charitable Remainder Interest Trust and Charitable Remainder Annuity Trust. There's all sorts of different types of Charitable Remainder trusts. You know, that's a, a tool that I think a lot of pastors aren't aware of, uh, whereby people can go ahead and give a gift to the church now while retaining an, the, the income off of that or or some type of income off that. Uh, And then at the end of their life or at the end of the term of that trust, then the gift belongs to the church. And in addition, they get to take an immediate tax write-off of the gift. It's not the full value of the gift. And there's those real complicated formulas that the IRS throws out there that you have to used to calculate what the, uh, the, the actual value of the gift is at the time that you give it, considering that you've retained that, that income for a certain period of time. Uh, but ultimately, it's usually a, still a pretty substantial tax write-off. And, and certainly, we don't want people to be motivated by the tax uh, benefits but, uh, in terms of giving to the church. But that's certainly a, a perk. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and I think what happens a lot of times, Josh, is that for the pastor who's typically the one who would be in this conversation, they're either not aware of these kinds of tools or they're intimidated by the perceived complexity of these tools. And What I'd say is, pastor, you don't have to know all the rules. You just have to know somebody who knows all the rules. And when they start down that conversation, you're like, hey, Jim, hold on just a second. Let me introduce you to my friend, Josh, who works at blank foundation. If you're in a denomination, the chances are real good that you've got a foundation. The Baptists have foundations. The Presbyterians have foundations. The Methodists have foundations. You know, just write them down. Or if you don't, then National Christian Foundation right here in Atlanta will serve any of your donors in these these more complex uh, giving-type decisions. So it's easy to do that, and the pastor doesn't have to have all the answers. He just needs to know when somebody starts that conversation, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to need to turn this over to somebody else. So what I generally advise is... Have somebody who can do a wills and estate seminar periodically in your church who can speak to not just the bigger topic, but also to age and stage issues, and then have qualified professionals on a list, people that you vetted, maybe people inside your church, people not inside your church who are local, that you know if you send them to Josh that you can trust that they'll take really good care of them with integrity and do the things that you want to do there. And that's serving your church members very, very well
2: when you do something like that. Absolutely, and that really kind of goes into the next question. Again, you kind of we've kind of already answered it a bit. But what are some of the things that churches can do to better cultivate that planned giving culture? And where are we falling short? I know we've kind of talked about how this is one of those that ninety percent that, that we haven't tapped into. What do we need to do to to tap into that? Uh, other than making the ask and and making those resources uh, and uh, estate planners and so forth available.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's back to that whole idea of just making sure that people are aware of the wills and estates issue and then the plan gift conversation resides in there and make that a part of it. But in terms of that too, Josh, I think one of the things that happens is that you know, I know for Nancy and me, what we're looking to do with our gifts after we're, we're done is we're looking to live, leave our gifts in a place where it does very, very specific things. We're not looking to fund the ministry of a Perimeter Church on an ongoing basis. We're not looking We're looking to do very, very specific things. So what a church ought to do is create a separate fund or funds, whether it be a foundation or an internal designated fund or something where, let's just say, for example, I've got a client that one of the things they have in their foundation is they fund scholarships for um uh for seminary students who are called in the ministry out of their church i'd love to be a part of that because i'm not just funding a church i'm funding a whole series and movement of church leaders and so i know my money is going over here doing these very specific things and so for 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 churches to be able to cultivate these gifts You've got to do what the colleges and universities do, and that is, Josh, if you give your money to whatever your alma mater is, here's what you can do. You can elect this, this, or this, or you can elect to allocate it between those if you'd like to, but it will not go to the ongoing annual fund of the the school. It'll go only to these things, and you can rest assured that your money goes to the places you want it to go and that's what churches struggle with is how do I donors want it to be directed to something very very specific they don't want to leave it into some amorphous blob where you can do with it whatever you want to do mm-hmm. so that's a part of the cultivation process is to cast the vision toward that and then create the vehicle so that that can happen
2: yeah well that's some great advice right there the 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 foundation the charitable foundation uh, is a is a tool that i think is severely underutilized um it's something that i use for for high net worth estate planning uh yes. clients who, who yes. want to do something i'll help them create a private foundation but there is certainly nothing wrong at all with a church creating a foundation or like you said an internal designated fund uh through which those specific gifts can be made for a specific purpose. And that's one of the biggest objections I hear a lot of times from pastors is, well, we don't want the church to rely on legacy giving because it'll dissuade uh, current members, living members, from continuing to give and tithe uh, to their church. Uh, and I think that's a great way to get past that is to Say, listen. We're not our, our legacy gifts don't go to the general fund unless that's specifically where you want it to go. Otherwise, it's going into this foundation or into these restricted funds uh, to be used specifically for uh, these particular purposes. And so, I okay. think that's uh, that, that's just great advice, Jim. Uh, let me ask you this. You know, a lot of statistics are saying now that uh, you know life. Exp- Expectancies are continuing and uh, everybody's complaining Social Security is going to run out and, and kind of some storm clouds on the horizon, doom, gloom, so forth. What does the future of legacy look, of giving look like for the churches and specifically, you know, are we seeing uh, the, this concept uh, where we think people are going to end up spending everything and not have anything left at the end of life to leave to churches and other charitable organizations?
0: Yeah, I think that's a very real issue for some people, and uh, and I hear that a lot when I'm out there is that, hey, Jim, you know, when I first started, I thought I was planning on a life expectancy of 75, 80, and now I'm watching a lot of people live, you know, well into their 80s, maybe even to the late 80s, early 90s. And so I've got to think about how does my estate take me to that point in time? Not just to where I plan, and so it requires some careful planning on the front side. Make sure that you've accumulated the number that you need to live on. You know, whatever that number is. That you know, if you're if you're banking on a five percent return annually, you know, and you've got however much money in your in your in your portfolio that you've got to live on, that that five percent. You know, it doesn't take you seven, eight, or nine percent to live because you and I both know once you start a eroding corpus, you know, you're burning, burning cash at a much faster rate. The, the issue is, how do you create a pool where you can live on the interest or the earnings and not touch the corpus? And that's the way you make your money last much longer, you know, into your 80s and 90s. So I think it's just a matter of fact, a matter of sitting down with your attorneys and, and your advisors and making sure that your plan takes all that into account. Now, that's for, for most people. There are a few people that are just flat out doesn't matter. They're mm-hmm. gonna have so much money they could live, you know, till Methuselah's age and they wouldn't run out. Right. And um and, and the key for a lot of those people is like the wealthy guy in this town that I mentioned about they have not. The church has not really made the clarion call of if you were to leave a gift, a legacy gift, a, a catalytic legacy gift with us. Here's what it could do to to influence the kingdom in this area, and that's where you've got to cast vision toward that very, very specific, you know, found, quote unquote foundation or or designated type idea to get people to participate there. But mm-hmm. I, th- I think that I think the jury's still out on that. Of course, people have been talking about Social Security running out for the last 30 years, and it hasn't. They just keep kicking the ball down down the uh, you know to the court there. Congress does, it seems. Um, But I think, the the further we get down, the more, you know, I think at my age, I'm a little bit concerned about that day of reckoning. I don't lose any sleep over it. But, you know, I know that we can't keep doing that forever. And so if I was sitting here thinking about my financial plan, I'd probably have that as one of the factors. But I think you can get past that. Having a longer term horizon, make sure that you've thought through how you're going to live on that nest egg that you created and then leave some left over for, uh, you know, for whoever you want to give it to.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely good stuff. And, you know, there are a lot of financial advisors out there now who are, who are really just saying cash flow is king. And that there's certainly some truth to that, uh, especially when you get into retirement is just the need for that type of cash flow. And there's where uh, even then some of those charitable trusts, you can kind of create your own annuity, get the tax benefits and right. continue to receive an income. It's a great, uh, great way to handle that. Not only that, but there are other charitable remainder trusts, such as a qualified personal residence trust or something similar in which you can continue to live in your house, but that real uh, asset, the hard asset, as opposed to the cash or cash equivalent, uh, would then go to the church and then could be could be you know sold and continue to fund um, uh, those specific designated uh, areas of the church that we've kind of already talked about. So, all very very good stuff. Well, we want to make sure that we uh, we recognize uh, Generis. You know, today's featured resource for church leaders is Generous. Uh, Generis is a, a consulting firm that takes biblical principles best practices, Practices, uh, ...best giving practices and your ministry's DNA and collaborates with you to weave them all together into a strategy that will help fund your God-inspired vision. They are a team of experienced guides passionate about partnering with ministries on giving projects with God-sized vision and kingdom implications. Their generosity strategists are committed to capturing the amazing God-inspired vision that you have for your ministry and helping you fund it. They'll help you rethink reality to make new things possible and set clear expectations. They'll connect vision uniquely to the proven strategies they've used to help fund more than $6 billion in faith-based ministries across the world by approaching everything with a make-it-last mindset. This ensures that everything they accomplish with you outlives the length of any one campaign, project, or initiative. Learn more at www.generis.com. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to having you on again here in a couple of weeks.
0: Josh, it was so good to be here today, and thanks for the invite. It was a real honor to be here in front of you and and with your people today.
1: Wow, Josh, so much wisdom in that interview. Uh, Any last thoughts that you want to follow
2: up with? Yeah, you (laughs) know— We as churches can do a whole lot better uh, at cultivating this culture of planned giving. Uh, You know, we've talked about it already and in making that ask both one on one uh, with people, but also from the pulpit saying, hey, would you remember the church in your will? Uh, But certainly, we just need to make sure that we're getting to a point to where that's just commonplace, where it's commonplace that we do those things. And there are a couple of things pastors can do. You know, a lot of times, uh, and we talked about this a bit in the interview, that some of these vehicles for making these planned gifts are very complicated. And pastors may not feel comfortable being able to talk intelligently or in an educated fashion on some of those special types of trust and other giving vehicles. Uh, You know, there is not an attorney in your town who wouldn't jump on the opportunity to come talk to your church about different wills and trust opportunities, uh, because that's going to be an opportunity for them to get a little bit of business. Uh, So reach out to that attorney. If you've got an attorney in your church who knows some things about wills and trust, Get them in there and have them come talk about, to talk about some of these things. An accountant can talk a lot about some of these types of, of trusts. And certainly we at Church General Council can do that as well. If you need somebody to come in and just do a, a seminar for your people or you want to bring somebody in on a special uh, commitment Sunday where you're asking people to make a commitment to give to the church to their will, certainly we can come in and, and provide some of that education from a biblical basis as well. And call Jim Shepard uh, at Generis. They'll, they'll do that as well. They've got some great consultants there.
1: Absolutely. So, Josh, tell me a little bit about what you guys have going on right now at Church General Counsel.
2: Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about our Church Esquire Club membership. This is completely free, uh, and it is a Facebook group that you can join where you're going to get access to some free legal forms. Uh, there'll be some tips that you'll get there that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, th- these uh, forms, these are things that are commonly used and just c- frequently asked questions, things that come up. You'll get access to all of that. You're going to get access to a free monthly interactive Facebook live chat uh, where we'll pick a topic and you can jump on Facebook live and we're just going to uh, talk through that and I'll be able to answer questions and and so forth. Uh, And you know what? Since lawyers uh, are the most made fun of profession in the world, uh, we'll post a few uh, clean, funny lawyer jokes as well. So go check that out. Facebook.com backslash groups, backslash Church Esquire, or you can just uh, search the Church Esquire Club on Facebook.
1: Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links, everything is available
2: for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you
1: next week.